everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 107, They the Wait. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. The chapters this week are, or at least the one that we're going to talk about, are a sharp contrast to what we have been talking about and kind of a relief. And that's what Isaiah meant it to be. That's what the Lord meant it to be. We are in chapters 40 through 49, and these chapters were intended to comfort the Jews who had been taken away by Babylon. These Jews who had been through so much at this point may have started to falter in their faith that they are God's chosen people. All these terrible things had happened. They had been defeated. They're being scattered. You couldn't really blame them for feeling that way. What I want to talk about is if you have ever felt that way. We are told that we, as covenant Israel, as people who have chosen to enter into sacred covenants with God, are God's chosen people. Now remember that that doesn't mean that we, because of of who we are through our blood, are God's chosen people. It is those who choose to enter into covenants, and that can be literally anyone who chooses that. And as God's chosen people, it's our mission to help gather Israel, that we were foreordained for this time, that we will be given strength and power in the last days, that it is our responsibility to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt like perhaps the Jewish people felt after they were captured by Babylon, that you are starting to falter in your faith, that you are a part of God's chosen people, that everything's going exactly as it was always planned, that everything's still okay, that the Lord is completely in control, that nothing surprises him. All those responsibilities, all those all those things that I could keep going on infinitely about all the things that we are supposed to be as a covenant people, It's pretty grand stuff, right? Does it always feel grand in our daily lives? Do you ever feel afraid? Do you ever feel doubt? Do you ever feel like the world around us is just too powerful? Do you ever feel like it's hard to comprehend that all the power of the earth, everything we know right now is literally nothing? In the moments when you feel as though the world is too big, too evil, too terrifying, too powerful for you to make a difference, chapter 40 is for you. I'm going to skip around just a little bit. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now that part can be taken literally as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know that there will be great upheaval in the land of the earth, but it can also mean that all the wickedness will be defeated and and straightened out. Continuing verse 5, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Don't you love the confidence that Isaiah says that? All flesh shall see it together, the glory of the Lord. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He speaks it as fact, because that's what it is. And the voice said, cry, meaning the voice of the Lord told his prophets to cry to the people. And he, the prophet, said, what shall I cry? The Lord answers, all flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. 
The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. There is pointing out that mortality is so fleeting, so temporary, but the Lord, his gospel, his plan is forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him, meaning the Lord is all-powerful. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and he shall gently lead those that are with young. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance, meaning that the nations of the earth are nothing compared to his power. Behold, he hath taken up the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Here it's pointing out how silly and ridiculous idol worship is. And not just idol worship in the way that we're thinking of it in the Old Testament ways, but the things that we worship, the idols that we worship now, how ridiculous is it that we have a God whom when nations are compared are nothing, and yet we choose to worship things of this earth? Now he actually talks about the making of idols. The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. And he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot, and he seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Here he's talking about how carefully people would choose out the materials for their graven image so that they can have this God to worship. And how dumb that is. Continuing verse 21. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, meaning Israel, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, 
and my judgment is passed over from my God. Meaning, why do you think you can hide your wickedness from God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. What a promise we're given there. Isaiah describes to us that without the Lord, we shall faint no matter how strong we are. We shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. To wait on the Lord, what does that mean? David J. Ridges says it is to base your hope on the Lord. What are the scriptures? Who are the prophets? They are the stories and testimonies of people who base their hope, who wait on the Lord. One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 11. In this chapter, Paul speaks of the testament of faith provided by the stories of the faithful people in the scriptures, starting in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Next, Paul describes prophets and what they accomplished through faith in the Lord. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That verse, that is what it means to wait on the Lord, to have faith 
in the Lord. I hope that I die in faith, not having received the promises, but having the faith to believe that I see them afar off. Having faith so that I am persuaded of them and that I embrace them and that I confess that I am a stranger here and that I don't know how to do anything without him. Jeffrey R. Holland said, God can provide miracles instantaneously, but sooner or later we learn that the times and seasons of our mortal journey are his and his alone to direct. He administers that calendar to every one of us individually. For every infirm man healed instantly as he waits to enter the pool of Bethesda, someone else will spend 40 years in the desert waiting to enter the promised land. For every Nephi and Lehi divinely protected by an encircling flame of fire for their faith, we have an Abinadi burned at the stake of flaming fire for his. And we remember that the same Elijah who in an instant called down fire from heaven to bear witness against the priest of Baal is the same Elijah who endured a period where there was no rain for years and who for a time was fed by only the skimpy sustenance that could be carried in a raven's claw. By my estimation, that can't have been anything we would call a happy meal. The point? The point is that faith means trusting God in good times and bad, even if that includes some suffering until we see his arm revealed in our behalf. That can be difficult in our modern world when many have come to believe that the highest good in life is to avoid all suffering, that no one should ever anguish over anything. But that belief will never lead us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. With apologies to Elder Neil A. Maxwell for daring to modify and enlarge something that he once said, I too suggest that one's life cannot be both faith-filled and stress-free. It simply will not work to glide naively through life, saying as we sip another glass of lemonade, Lord, give me all thy choicest virtues, but be certain not to give me grief, nor sorrow, nor pain, nor opposition. Please do not let anyone dislike me or betray me, and above all, do not ever let me feel forsaken by thee or those I love. In fact, Lord, please be careful to keep me from all the experience that made thee divine. And then, when the rough sledding by everyone else is over, please let me come and dwell with thee, where I can boast about how similar our strengths and our characters are as I float along on my cloud of comfortable Christianity. My beloved brothers and sisters, Christianity is comforting, but it is often not comfortable. The path to holiness and happiness here and hereafter is a long and sometimes rocky one. It takes time and tenacity to walk it. But of course, the reward for doing so is monumental. This truth is taught clearly and persuasively in the 32nd chapter of Alma in the Book of Mormon. There, this great high priest teaches that if the word of God is planted in our hearts as a mere seed, and if we care enough to water, weed, nourish, and encourage it, it will in the future bear fruit which is most precious, sweet above all that is sweet, the consuming of which leads to a condition of no more thirst and no more hunger. This is what we signed up for. When we waited for our bodies as we were in the pre-existence, we knew that we were coming here to be tested and tried. We knew that it might sometimes be difficult to have faith in God. Our job here is to take Alma chapter 32 seriously. Work to acquire and cultivate a faith that can put us through life, through all of our hard things, with the ability to wait on the Lord, to have hope in the Lord, 
so that we can receive the gift that he promises us, that we can and will endure to the end if we are relying on him, that we can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. God is good and holy. God is greater than any nation on earth, any ruler, any billionaire, politician, or celebrity. God is greater than every silly idea the world around us thinks it has about the facts of life. I was going to say that God must think it's so cute when we try and figure things out without him. But I don't think that he thinks it's cute. I think he thinks it's sad. And not just sad, but tragic. When Enoch was shown a vision of the future of the world and the destruction of the wicked, he saw something that he couldn't believe in Moses chapter 7, starting in verse 28. And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people, and he wept. And Enoch bare record of it, saying, How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountains? And Enoch said unto the Lord, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing that thou art holy? and from all eternity to all eternity. And were it possible that man could number the particles of the earth, yea, millions of earths like this, it would not be a beginning of the number of thy creations. And thy curtains are stretched out still. And yet thou art there, and thy bosom is there. And also thou art just, thou art merciful and kind forever. And thou hast taken Zion to thine own bosom, from all thy creations, from all eternity to all eternity, and not but peace. Justice and truth is the habitation of thy throne, and mercy shall go before thy face and have no end. How is it that thou canst weep? And the Lord said unto Enoch, Behold, these thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine own hands, and I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them, and in the garden of Eden I gave unto man his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment, that they should love one another that they should choose me, their father. But behold, they are without affection, and they hate their own blood. And the fire of my indignation is kindled against them, and in my hot displeasure I will send in the floods upon them, for my fierce anger is kindled against them. Behold, I am God. Man of holiness is my name, man of counsel is my name, and endless and eternal is my name also. Wherefore, I can stretch forth mine hands, and hold all the creations which I have made, and mine eye can pierce them also. And among all the workmanship of mine hands, there has not been so great wickedness as among thy brethren. But behold, their sins shall be upon the heads of their father. Satan shall be their father, and misery shall be their doom. And the whole heavens shall weep over them, even all the workmanship of mine hands. Wherefore, should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer? Should not the heavens weep, seeing these shall suffer? This chapter of Isaiah reminds us that there is no equal to the Lord. And yet, even though he has no equal and we are incomparable to him, he knows us by name. He wants to comfort us. He wants to reassure us that he is in control and able to support us as we try to figure this life out, as we try to accomplish the great mission of ushering in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Are we waiting on the Lord? Are we basing our hopes in the Lord like all the faithful before us? Are we willing to believe that the world is nothing compared to him and that we should move forward unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Are we willing to see the promises afar off, as Paul says, be persuaded of them, embrace them, and confess that we are strangers on the earth, and without him, we don't know what we're doing? That it is in fact possible to endure to the end, endure through till exaltation. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ.